with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. May God bless to us that reading from his precious word. We're continuing the uh, series on following Jesus. And we're looking this morning at this passage of Jesus calling disciples, Luke chapter 5. Now, I was thinking when I became a Christian, uh, and that's many, many years ago, uh, in fact, it's more than 60 years ago. You don't think I'm old enough for that, but it's more than 60 years ago. When I became a Christian, the emphasis was almost entirely on conversion. Uh, we were encouraged to confess sin and to turn to the Lord, to invite him into our lives, to commit our lives to Jesus. That was the big life-changing moment. It all happened then in that moment of conversion and commitment. But as I recall, there was, there was very little emphasis on discipleship. I mean, it was going on, but it wasn't in a kind of recognized way. We were encouraged to read our Bible and, uh, and pray, and, and we would grow. In fact, we sang. There was a kid's song that said exactly that. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And some of you are nodding your heads because you remember it well enough. And that's kind of what it was. Um, we were a bit left to our own devices. Uh, but it's absolutely true, of course, if you were reading your Bible every day and praying every day, then you did grow as a Christian. But that's easier said than done <laughs> to, to keep that faithful uh, right through your life. A disciple is, is a learner, uh, a pupil, but, but it's not head knowledge that's involved in discipleship alone. 
indeed a better understanding of the word disciple would simply be the word follower if we if we thought of a disciple as a follower someone who's following the lifestyle and teaching of their master not not just in Christian terms, there can be disciples everywhere and anywhere because they're following the lifestyle and teachings of, of their hero or their master. But the fact is, followers don't get it all together all at once, do they? And Luke 5 is certainly not the first time that these men met and followed Jesus. In fact, right in the beginning of John's Gospel, John chapter 1, we are told about a time when two, two guys who were John the Baptist's disciples, Andrew and John, were introduced to Jesus by John the Baptist. And they left John and followed Jesus, went with Jesus. And we're told in John chapter 1 that they spent the day with Jesus. Now, they may have spent longer than that, but at least that was the start. They spent that day with Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18, we, we, we are shown the first time that Jesus called the fishermen brothers, Andrew and Peter and James and John, while they were fishing. And he called them to come and follow him. And they did that. But they probably only followed Jesus sporadically and went back to their fishing from time to time. Because the passage we're looking at here in Luke chapter 5 records uh, a similar but different occasion from the one in Matthew 4. I'm getting a bit of feedback here. I don't know if you guys are or not. Um, Okay. In Luke chapter 5, the difference is they had finished their fishing. They were washing and mending their nets when Jesus came along, presumably with a crowd of people with him. He gets into Peter's boat. He already knew Peter. They already had a relationship with each other. Gets into Peter's boat, asks him to push out a little from the shore, and Jesus talks to the people gathered there on the shore. And then when he's finished teaching... He tells Peter to push out into deeper water and take a miraculous catch of fish. That's exactly what happens. And again, we are told they followed Jesus. So these first disciples, without any doubt, are followers of Jesus. That's the invitation, and that's the challenge for you and me today to be followers of Jesus. So how do we follow Jesus as his disciples? Well, please take encouragement from the fact that I've already said that these disciples didn't get it all together all at once. It was a process for them. It took them a while to realize what it really meant to follow Jesus. And one of them at least realize that to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, doesn't mean being in the limelight. It doesn't mean hogging the stage. It doesn't mean always being up front. You can be a true disciple, yet remain always in the background. 
It was Andrew, one of the disciples of John the Baptist. It was Andrew who first introduced his brother Peter to Jesus. We're told that in John chapter 1. Yet Andrew, many of you will know this, hardly ever appears by name in the Gospels. And when he does, he's always Simon Peter's brother. The assumption being that people might not know who Andrew was, but they would certainly know who Peter was. So Andrew is introduced as Peter's brother. But that's what happened to Andrew. And uh, he was willing to take that background role, all of his followership of Jesus, all the days of his being a disciple. The point is, it's perfectly possible to be a genuine and effective follower of Jesus without ever getting the limelight, but just quietly serving the Lord in the background. In fact, truth is, these are the people that we need in the church in these days. The kind of people who don't get all hurt and uppity if they're overlooked, or if they don't get the kind of thanks and recognition they deserve. These are the real followers of Christ. I like the story of uh, the missionary couple who had served for more than 30 years in Africa. And they were re retiring, and they were returning to uh, America. And on the same ship that they were sailing home on was the American ambassador who had served for about four or five years in the same African country that they had been in. And as the ship docked, uh, the ambassador and his wife were the first to uh, disembark. On the quayside, they were immediately surrounded by a crowd of photographers and press people. There was even a band playing. The wife was handed a bouquet of flowers, and the uh, ambassador was welcomed, and he gave a little speech about the joy and privilege of having served his country and now returning home. There was applause from all the people on the quayside. The missionary couple were watching this from the deck. They were waiting to get off the ship. They were watching from the deck, and the wife turned to her husband with tears in her eyes and said, why is it that we have given a lifetime of service to Christ, and no one is here to honor us and welcome us home? Her husband put his arm around her and said, Honey, that's because we're not home yet. We're not home yet. There will be a great welcome for you and me in the place that Jesus has prepared for us, but we're not there yet. So don't expect it all at this side of glory. Uh, we don't follow Jesus to get recognition for ourselves. So how do we follow Jesus as disciples? I want to suggest two things. We need to stay close to the Master, and we need to keep in step with the Spirit. These two things. Now, staying close to the Master requires attentiveness, no question. 
We cannot follow at a distance. We'd like to do that. Sometimes we'd like to do that. But at a distance, uh, things and people can get in the way. I, you've watched these films where a detective or somebody else is following some guy, and he has to keep a bit back because he doesn't want to be seen. But if he's too far back, then, of course, people can get in the way. The person he's following disappears down a lane or jumps into a tube and the door's shut before the other guy can get there. You've seen all that stuff. You cannot follow Jesus at a distance because it's very easy to lose sight of him, to not know quite where he has gone or what turning he has taken. We have to, we have to stay close. We have to stay close enough to be hearing the words of Jesus. See, much of Jesus' teaching of his followers was on the move. That, that was common for rabbis to teach in that way. And Jesus certainly did it. He taught as they were going along the road, as they were going through the cornfields, as they were passing all sorts of different things and in different situations. Jesus would use these uh, as a means of teaching uh, his followers. But they had to be close enough to hear what he was saying. He didn't have microphones and megaphones and all that stuff. He was just talking as they walked along. They had to be near enough to hear what he was saying. And that's still true for us. Jesus said once to his followers, consider carefully how you listen. And that's a word to us. Consider carefully how you listen to the Lord. Today we listen to Jesus in his word. Today we listen to the Lord as folks who are sharing gifts of knowledge or prophecy share a word that they have heard from the Lord and we hear through them. But we need to see the relevance of these words, the Word of God in Scripture, the words that prophetic people might bring to us, we need to see the relevance of that to the situation that we're in. It's a now word. It's a word for us for today. Opening the Bible only when you have a problem or when you're looking for direction is not listening attentively to the Lord. We need to absorb the word into our thinking, developing actually what, what John Stott once called the Christian mind. So we, we begin to think like Jesus because we're absorbed in his word. We need to be close enough to hear what he's saying to us. Not only that, we need to be close enough to absorb the character of Jesus, to begin to be like him. Well, there's plenty of examples of that, and maybe, maybe you've done it yourself, you know, to start to wear the kind of clothes that your musician hero wears. All that sort of stuff has gone on for years and years and years. I like uh, 
the story that Julian Lidston did. I hope many of you have got hold of Julian's book, Give Up the Purple, particularly if you're in any kind of leadership role. Get hold of it. It's a, it's a good book. Julian has put a lot into that book, Julian Lidston. Uh, get hold of it and, and read it. That will encourage Julian, but also it'll do you a power of good, especially if you're in leadership. Anyway, in the book, uh, Julian uh, tells a story about a time when he was living in Istanbul. He says, I had the privilege of meeting Bishop Mezrop um, Mutafayan, who was the patriarch of the Armenian Orthodox Church. And uh, Julian says, he told me about a problem he faced when the Turkish government would not allow the church to have a seminary to train priests. So he was compelled to send his young men either to the theologically liberal Sorbonne in Paris or to a nationalistic institution in Armenia. Despite these unfortunate circumstances, he was happy to report that his students returned from their studies abroad still faithful to his principles. Julian says, remembering the weaknesses and failure of so much of our discipleship of Turkish believers, I was eager to hear his secret. How do you manage to ground them so well that they stay faithful to your spirituality, Julian asked him. It's easy, he replied. They live with me for three years. They eat with me. They sit with me. They talk with me. They hang out with me. And then he added with a smile, of course, for you Protestants, that's difficult because you get married. We Orthodox bishops remain celibate so that we can devote ourselves to raising up the next generation of priests. You and I need to be close enough to Jesus so that we're actually absorbing something of his character. Paul was brave enough to say to the Corinthians, he said, imitate me, as I imitate Jesus. Follow my example as I'm following the example of Jesus. That's an amazing thing to be able to say. But he was, he was so absorbing the character of Jesus that he could actually encourage other people to watch him and they would absorb something of Jesus' character. So we need to follow Jesus close enough to be attentive to him. And staying close to the master also implies obedience to him. Peter, on this occasion in Luke 5, submits to the authority of Jesus. He does what Jesus asks him to do. That was easy, to push out his boat a few yards from the shore. But the next instruction was much more difficult. Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch, says Jesus to Peter. This didn't make sense to Peter. So he, he argues a bit. He's, he's arguing in his mind. He's thinking to himself, this is crazy. Everyone knows that in the Sea of Galilee, 
you fish at night in the shallow water, not in the daylight in deep water. What he was being asked to do was totally contrary to his thinking and to his experience. It, it, it took him right out of his comfort zone. But he submits to Jesus' authority. Because you say it, I'll do it. What a tremendous, what a tremendous phrase that is. Because you say it, I'll do it. My kind of motto text uh, for life uh, is John chapter 2 and verse 5. It's the word of, of Jesus' mother to the servants at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. It was given to me as a young Christian when I was baptized as a believer. Uh, it's Jesus' mother telling the servants, do whatever he tells you. Our pastor also uh, gave us that word to Morgan and I as a young he had just married us, and this was his advice uh, to us, do whatever he tells you. I thought that was great. I'm standing there as a husband, and Mora's being told to do what I tell her. Uh, that wasn't what he meant, of course, but together we had to do what Jesus told us. And actually, you know, even, even now as I'm telling you this, I'm kind of shivers up and down my spine because I hate to think of the number of miracles that may have been missed in my life and in the lives of people around me because I haven't always done what Jesus told me. At that wedding in Cana of Galilee, it was when the servants did what Jesus told them that the miracle took place and the water became wine. And I think, yeah, there must have been miracles missed in my life because I wasn't doing what Jesus told me. There needs to be obedience, attentiveness, obedience, and also there needs to be commitment. It's a word we use a lot, but it's an important word. Peter's obedience brings about a miracle. He lets the nets down in the deep water and they're filled with fish. And Peter's awareness of, of Jesus Holiness comes very strikingly to him as that miracle takes place. He realizes that he is in the presence of holiness and he feels his own unworthiness and his own sinfulness. And that's, that's what he blurts out. Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. I, I can't even be here in your presence. And maybe you felt like that from time to time. When the Lord is, is very close to you, you suddenly think, Lord, I, you, you can't know what I'm really like, Lord. I just feel my own unworthiness right now. We often feel like that. But Jesus doesn't allow us to wallow in that kind of guilt and self-pity you don't need to be afraid of me, he says to Peter. I want you to see that you have a new purpose for living, to help others into the kingdom. We're in this together. You're part of my team to help others into the kingdom. So verse 11 there in Luke 5 is hugely significant. They left everything 
and followed him. That's commitment. They had lived maybe on the edge of following Jesus up till now, but now they were fully committed. Maybe like me, there have been several times in your life when you have committed or recommitted yourself uh, to the Lord. I used to think, this is not right to be doing this. You've done it once and that's it. But actually, I think now there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. To commit ourselves again and again and again to the Lord. We just need to remember, it's not God who needs to be reminded of our commitment. He took note of it the very first time. As far as he's concerned, it stands for all eternity. It's not God who needs to be reminded. But we need to remind ourselves that we have committed our lives to the Lord. We need to remind ourselves that we have decided to follow Jesus. That's commitment. And it's good to confirm that again and again, our allegiance to Jesus. But with that commitment comes a cost. Jesus said to his followers on another occasion, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now the cross is not some pain or persecution or suffering or difficulty or disappointment that we might face. And, and then we say, oh, this is the cross I have to bear in life. No, that's not the cross. Nor is the cross a badge to wear round our necks to show that we're Christians. The cross is for one thing only, and that's to die on. That's what it was for. That's the only thing it was for. To die on. So taking up the cross daily is to die to self and self-interest and live for Christ. There is a cost in following Jesus. Yes, there certainly is. But, but what a life-changing adventure it becomes. An old uh, Devon sailor who had sailed with Francis Drake was once asked, you must have seen lots of hardship and danger in your years at sea. Oh yes, he said, plenty of that. But I've been with the greatest captain who has ever sailed the seven seas. And that's what it's like for you and me. Yes, there's a cost, but you're gonna go this journey with the greatest leader who has ever been, the Lord Jesus himself, the son of the living God. He's the one that we're following. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to stay close to him. But the truth is, really, we cannot follow Jesus in our own strength. And that's why that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. And so we need to keep in step with the Spirit. 
He works in us to make us more like Jesus. That is his ministry. Part of his ministry is to do that. So he grows in us the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit so that we might reflect the character of Jesus in love, in joy, in peace, and so on. He grows the fruit of the Spirit in us. And he gives us the gifts of the Spirit so that we might reflect the conduct of Jesus, absorbing the character of Jesus and reflecting the conduct of Jesus. In other words, doing what Jesus did, doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. That's why we have the gifts of the Spirit operating within the body of Christ. But there are three warnings given to us in Scripture about the Holy Spirit. I want just to mention uh, the first two quickly. We have to be careful not to resist the Spirit. That's what Stephen said to the Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 7. He said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And, And we can resist the Spirit, as they were doing, by rejecting a clear move of God because it doesn't fit our preconceived notions or it doesn't fit the way we do church. And sadly, I can think of churches, Baptist churches, evangelical churches, who today are dying because they resisted a move of the Spirit of God amongst them. We have to be careful not to resist the Spirit. We have to be careful, secondly, not to quench the Spirit. That's what Paul warns the Thessalonians about. And we quench the Spirit when we dampen the Spirit's fire in our own lives or in the lives of other people. I sometimes think... uh, I don't get here every Sunday now by any means, but uh, sometimes I have the pleasure of sitting in the congregation. It's not always uh, a pleasure, but I sometimes think we actually make it tough for our worship leaders sometimes. They're doing their best to lead us into the presence of the Lord, and they are gifted men and women, young people. They're doing their best to lead us into the presence of the Lord. But some of us are standing there with vacant faces and disinterested minds. We're probably anywhere else but here in our minds. We're doing anything else but truly worshiping the Lord. And I'm part of, I'm part of this, you know. I'm... I've been there. I'm I'm receiving this criticism to myself as much as to anyone else. But we have to choose. When we come in here, when the service is starting, we have to choose to worship the Lord. I'm going to be in this. I'm not going to be standing back just kind of looking around. Sometimes the worship leaders, I think, must feel like they're singing out to walls of brass. Now, we're not all like that, and uh, it's, it's great to be part of a worshiping community of people. And I do believe 
that we can come into such a group uh, really down because the weight of the world is on our shoulders. Things have been happening. We're, we're hurt. We're in pain, all sorts of stuff. And we come in and we're not really feeling like worshiping the Lord. But if we come into a community of people who are expressing praise and thanks and blessing to God, then we're uplifted in our soul. And any church can stand to have a few folks like that who are struggling and not really able to enter into worship. And, but if there are enough people here who really want to do it, then these folks get lifted as well in their worship. And you and I have to choose to do that. We have to say, as the psalmist had to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, worship the Lord. Praise his name. We have to be careful not to quench the spirit. But listen, the thing I really want us to note is this. We have to be careful not to grieve the spirit. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. And the word grieve carries a sense of hurt or pain. The fact is, the Holy Spirit is a sensitive spirit. And uh, he can be hurt. R.T. Kendall has a lovely story uh, about a British couple, Sandy and Bernice, who went as missionaries to Israel. The house was provided for them near Jerusalem. After they moved into their new home, they noticed that a dove had come to settle in the eaves of their house. The dove, of course, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And they considered this just to be something of a seal of approval from the Lord on their response to this call to go as missionaries uh, to Jewish people in Israel. Just a confirmation to them that they were in the right place. But Sandy noticed an unsettling pattern in the dove's behavior. Every time a door slammed shut in the house, or if there was a lot of noise, or if they were raising their voices to each other, the dove would be disturbed and flutter off. It worried Sandy because he felt they might be in danger of frightening the dove off permanently. And he mentioned it to his wife. He said, have you noticed that every time there's a lot of noise in the house or if we slam the doors, the dove flies away? Yes, she said, and it makes me feel sad. And I'm afraid the dove will fly away and never come back. Well, said Sandy, either the dove will adjust his behavior to us or if we really want to make sure we never lose him, we'll have to adjust our behavior to the dove. See, the Spirit will not accommodate himself to our behavior. He is offended by it, by our bad behavior. He shrinks from it. Paul makes it clear in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. He makes it very clear. When we fail to speak the truth, the Spirit is offended. When we harbor anger and resentment, when there's bitterness in our hearts and badness in our attitudes, the spirit is pained. 
when we cannot bring ourselves to forgive a Christian brother or sister, when we're unkind and unloving, the Holy Spirit of God is grieved. We need to remember that. He is a very sensitive spirit. He is very sensitive to sin. The dove flutters off. Now, we do not lose him. Thank God we do not lose him because he is our seal of redemption from the Father. But we can certainly lose any sense of his presence with us because of our bad behavior. And I wonder if that's why sometimes our worship can be cold and lifeless, going through the motions, but our hearts are not engaged. The dove has fluttered off. The Holy Spirit will not accommodate himself to our bad behavior. He wants us to adjust our behavior and attitudes to accommodate him. And in so doing, he makes us more like Jesus, reflecting the character and the conduct of the master, intimate followers of the Lord. William Cowper, who was a contemporary of John Newton, uh, of Amazing Grace, fame. John Newton and William Cowper wrote a lot of hymns together. And Cowper, one of the hymns he wrote was the hymn, Oh, for a Closer Walk with God. Uh, Keith, Getty, and Stuart Townend have a modern version of it, but I want just to read some of the original verses to you as we finish. Maybe you can identify with some of this. Where is the blessedness I knew, he says, when first I saw the Lord? Where is that soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? Then he says this, return, O holy dove, return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. So shall my walk be close with God, calm and serene my frame. So purer light shall mark the road that leads me to the Lamb. Some of us need to come to the place where we are genuinely sorry of our indifference and hardness of heart, maybe even of our, of our bad behavior towards others. And we need to invite the Spirit back into the center of our lives, into full control of our lives, to let Him know that He is welcome there and that He is always welcome here amongst us and to seek his help to accommodate our lives to his life.
because he won't accommodate himself to our bad behavior. He ministers to make us more like Jesus in word and in deed. Let's take just a moment of prayer. I think it might be important for some of us, maybe for many of us this morning, just to say to the Holy Spirit of God, I'm sorry for my indifference, even cynicism. I'm sorry for bad behavior that has offended you and hurt you. In fact, if you're saying that to the Lord this morning and just inviting the Spirit right into the center of your life, why don't you just stand quietly with me? I'm doing that just now. Stand quietly with me. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that at this stage, but if you want to say, yes, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry for things I've done and said. Please come right back into the center of my life. Fan again into flame the fire that is there. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Lord Jesus, in this moment we renew our commitment to you that we might follow you closely. That's our desire, Lord. That's our commitment to follow you closely and to keep in step with your spirit for the glory of Jesus and for the sake of those around us in our world here who need to meet you, Lord, to see something of your love and your compassion in us. May it be so, for your name's sake. Amen.